Good morning, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be with you this morning. Before we get started into the message, I just wanna ask one question. It can be a little divisive. In last service, there were some boos and some hisses, but I just wanna know, do any of you have your Christmas decorations up already? Yes, I see some hands, some cheering. I have been a strict no Christmas before Thanksgiving girl. I have been a no, no. You don't cross that boundary. And I'm just telling you this year, I have to confess, the decorations are up. I kind of felt like kind of coerced into it. You know, my coworkers all around this place in October have been playing Christmas music. And on the TV out there, they're playing Christmas music. And it just feels like, what is 2020? I don't know. And so I just kind of started putting up my Christmas decorations and I'm so happy because they do just make my life happy. I'm so excited. 2020 has just been crazy. I mean, my job is my social life now. You know, anyone else in quarantine, like as an extrovert, I'm like, I'm going to work. I'm going to see people. I'm so excited. Um, Some of my coworkers are like, chill, dude. We're not best friends. Yes, we are now. (laughs) I can't see my best friend. It's fine. I'm over it. But I'm excited. I'm so excited to be here this morning because I love what we are about to talk about. I love learning from Paul throughout the New Testament. And today we're going to focus specifically on Romans chapter 12, verse 12 through 21. If you have your Bibles or your phone and you want to pull that up to kind of follow along, um, I'm really excited about these verses. I love the way that Paul kind of echoes. uh, We see similarities between Paul's writing here and that of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus took his disciples away from the crowd and they went up to a mountain and he just kind of sat there and kind of shared with them this new way of living. And that's kind of what I want to do today. I want to just kind of get away from the noise, get away from the crowd and just focus on the good news of the scriptures. I think our attention and our focus has really just been pulled on so many other things right now, and it's understandable. Some of them are good, some not so much, but our focus has just been on other things and things that are outside of our control. And so this morning, I just want to invite us all, just let's come together and just focus on Jesus. Let's focus on the good news that we are about to look through. Um, We're talking about being inspired to do good. And I love the caption over these verses in this chapter, in this portion of this chapter. It says, love in action. If you know the love languages at all, mine is, um, how I show love is I am a doer. So if, if I am going to, to show love to you, I'm gonna do something for you. Like, what do you need? How can I help? I'm gonna be there. So when I read this, this caption of love in action, I just picture doing. I just think about doing stuff. But I love how Paul kind of shows us here how to be and also what to do. And so I kind of want to dive into both of those this morning. I think that being and doing are kind of going hand in hand, and that's what Paul is kind of showing us here. So let's just go through it. We're going to read the whole passage of Scripture, Romans 12, 12 through 21. It says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is, in, what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. No pressure, right? That's a list. That can be a pressure. I don't want to put this burden on us, but I think that these scriptures today can actually be encouraging and they can actually help inspire us to do good instead of just putting more on us. See, being joyful in hope, patient in affliction and prayer constantly, share with the Lord's people, don't look down on anybody and don't be overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. The question that I want to ask us today is, can we be joyful in hope? Can we be joyful in hope? When we walk down the halls of Christianity, do we hear echoes of a people who have this unsurpassing joy in Jesus in their Savior? Do we hear the hope cry out of those who know Jesus, or is it sounding more like anger and anxiety and fear and maybe apathy because everything's going okay in our world? I think before we are inspired to do good, we need to have a little hope restored this morning, and that's what I hope and I pray happens for us together today. I wanna to kinda of look at Paul's example. Paul had this supernatural experience with Jesus. He was walking down the road to Damascus and he was, he was living this life and Jesus came and met him right where he was at. And Paul's life forever was changed. He was inspired by God and he lived out his life doing good and pouring out the grace of God to others. I wanna look at it in Paul's own words in 1 Timothy, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The grace of God was poured out on Paul and he spent the rest of his life pouring that out on others and sharing God's grace and the good news of his grace with the churches throughout the New Testament. Paul is inspiring because he did all of this while suffering great trials. We can kind of identify a little bit with what Paul was going through this morning. You know, Paul has a chart. If you look up what are some of the ways that Paul suffered, there's a chart. And I just thought, how sad. And then I thought, I feel like I could have a chart. 
I'm gonna make my own chart. I feel like I have plenty. Anybody else? I have plenty to fill out that chart. It might not compare necessarily with Paul, but it's there. I wanna look at some of Paul's chart in his own words. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, and in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and have often gone without sleep. Anybody? I've known hunger and I have known thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concerns for all the churches. He's preaching to the Romans here. And by the time Paul made it to Rome, it was in chains. He was on house arrest for false charges. But still he writes, now we have this treasure in jars of clay in 2 Corinthians to show that this surpassingly great power is from God and not from us. He says, we are hard pressed on all sides, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul never takes his eyes off of Jesus, but he acknowledges the pain. He acknowledges the suffering. And I think his hope in Jesus doesn't waver. I think if anything, it increases. And if anything, that hope is the reason for his survival. In Philippians, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. He's saying, I can do these things because of the Holy Spirit, the strength of God in me. But thank you for sharing in my pain, for sharing in my troubles. It was good of you to do that. And so I just want to ask, can we be joyful in hope? With everything that's going on in the world, with this pandemic, with the election, with racial tensions, with pain, personal pain, I know so many of us have experienced personal pain. I've been walking with some of you in this church, and I know just some of the terrible traumatic stories that we've been going through on top of everything else. There's been so much change, and with that change, so much grieving. But I want to look at this Bible commentary, because I kind of looked it up like, if I tell you, be joyful in hope. Are you like, just like, yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to go be joyful in hope. What does that even mean? When Paul says, be joyful in hope, how, what is that? So I looked up this commentary and I love what it says on rejoicing at hope. It says, the call to hope usually has in mind our ultimate reward with Jesus. Paul says we serve God rejoicing in hope, not rejoicing in results. This shows how we are commanded to do all of these things with an eye towards heaven. This is how we will fulfill the command for hope, patience, and steadfast character described here. I love in the biblical commentary, I looked up biblical joy, and it says, the leaning 
of the, the leaning towards the awareness of God's grace and favor. Joy is grace recognized. Joy is grace recognized. Sometimes when we hear, count it all joy, and we hear, choose joy, and we hear, have joy and hope, we just think, okay, I'm just gonna smile and pretend it doesn't hurt and, and pretend it doesn't suffer. And when we come to church, we're just gonna kind of fake it. And yeah, I'm, I'm good, I'm a Christian. And somehow we've confused Christianity with being polite. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Sometimes we have to just receive the grace. We have to stand in the grace and then pour that grace out into others and allow the grace to turn into joy. That grace is available to us all. I was discussing this with a friend. She put it so perfectly, so I told her, I'm gonna quote you, um, because she just nailed it. She said, we don't have to muster joy, but turn toward him and receive grace. As we receive more of him, he fills us with joy and hope. Trying to have joy apart from really continually receiving grace is futile. If you remain and abide in him, you won't have to strive to do good. I have been spending a lot of time in the word and a lot of time with Jesus. And this verse just kind of came, came through a, a book that I was reading and, and also I was reading the Bible at the same time. And this has kind of just been my theme verse that has just been, I've heard it before, but it's just kind of having that new revelation of what it means. And it's in John 15, five, and it says, this is Jesus talking, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide just means to stay with. Stay with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. The place that we should be striving is in receiving more of God's grace. Listen, I know what it's like to lose hope. I'm a Raider fan. <laughs> I'm serious. I grew up watching football with my grandma. She was a Buffalo Bills fan, and she is from Buffalo, so legit, that was why. And the Bills were, I don't know of any Bills fans, Southern California, there's no Bills fans, what the heck? There's Patriots fans, though. I don't want to talk about that. Um, anyway, so the Bills were like in the playoffs. I started loving football. They were in the playoffs every year. We went to the Super Bowl four years in a row. And this was like right in my like middle school, high school time. And I just thought that was football. And I think that's why I just had this love for football because my team always won. And it was so fun until they stopped winning. And they really haven't been winning since. They're doing good this year. Good job. But they really just, for decades, have not done well. And so back then, there was no NFL ticket. We didn't have access to internet in our home. You just watched what was on TV. And there, was, there were no playing of these games because we were in Southern California. So around that time, I started dating my now husband, and he was a Raider fan. And so I would just kind of sit with him and watch, this, watch these teams. And I just really began to uh, just, you know, just really like them. And I loved this new team in Gannon and Gruden and, and Tim Brown and Asamoah and just a great group of guys, most of them Christian. I don't wanna hear any of this persecution about Raiders, okay? I'm tired of it. There's a good team and I'm tired of all the hate. All you haters can stop it. 
But I loved this team. And we, then we started going to the playoffs and we had, my husband and I got married and we had little kids and, and they, didn't, they weren't quite ready to watch a game, but we all would just wear our matching Raider clothes and we would go to stadium pizza and we'd just watch them in the playoffs year after year. Um, and then the tuck rules is something we don't say in our house, but we loved watching the team. And then we went to the Super Bowl. And then the year after the Super Bowl, our quarterback got hurt with a career-ending injury. And then it was 13 long losing years. Long losing years. My kids weren't even interested in football. They weren't watching it because there was no team to watch. And it's like they don't even understand the joy that I got to experience of a winning football team. And then I'll never forget, four years ago, it was right here Christmas Eve. We had just done about 10 services. (laughs) Am I exaggerating? I don't know. And I was so excited to go home, and I was just looking for it. We were, we were 12 and 4, and we were, no, 12 and 3, because we were playing one more game. And we were already secured a playoff spot. And we have this great new quarterback, Derek Carr, and fight me, he is great. And we, I went home, and I was just like so excited about this game, and I actually thought, is it blasphemous? Because like, I feel like, you know, just from church and Christmas, but the Raider game, I was so excited. And I sat down, we had pizza, what could be better? Christmas, Raiders, pizza, church, I love it all. And then he, he, got, in, he got hurt. He got injured. He didn't play in that playoff game, and we lost. And then we've been losing ever since. And so I'm just a girl standing in front of a team that is five and three, asking, are we going to go 13 and three? Or are we going to be eight and eight? I don't know, but it's hard to hope. Listen, in all seriousness, I know what pain is, and I know how terrible this season has been. My own son was diagnosed with stage four cancer at the, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so he's been going through chemo and all of these things on top of the pandemic. My husband came down with COVID, was hospitalized, almost lost his life to the disease. And, and no sooner than my son ended his chemo treatment, my dad's cancer returned. And he sat in a chair last week for eight hours receiving chemo. And it's all of these things on top of everything else in the world. So when I stand here today to tell you that I know what it's like to have pain, to lose hope, and to suffer, I know what it's like. But I want to just ask, this is a perfect time for us to just lose hope, isn't it? Everything's just happening just right. And I just want to ask, are we bypassing God's, God's grace Are we bypassing receiving God's grace, trying to survive it all? Are we not spending time with Jesus because we're too busy over here trying to survive on our own? We can choose to hold on to the pain. We can choose to hold on to the arguments. We can choose to allow what's going on in this world to take our focus off of Jesus and to put it on the world. But in light of God's mercy, we should be the most hopeful. And as Paul writes, it shouldn't change in our circumstance. We have that ability ongoing. And I don't believe that change really is going to come without it. 
We are blessed when we hope in the Lord. Listen, I'm just gonna like rattle off some verses for you because my hope is that we will be filled this morning with the power of the Spirit and that we will be encouraged to have joy and hope. In Jeremiah 17, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Psalm says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him abundant redemption. Now hope does not disappoint, Paul writes, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get my hopes up. Is this phrase that we've kind of termed for the, for the temporal things. But I'm saying this morning, it's time to get our hopes up. It's time as Christians believing in Jesus Christ for us to have joy in all circumstances. I wanna look at some of the do's. We're talking about being, and I wanna look at, at the response to that being is doing. Going back to the verse, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I think sometimes it can be easier to maybe write a check and just to to let other people do the work. Writing a check is great, by the way. Don't stop doing that. But sometimes it takes away that that personal interaction that helps to develop us. I think sometimes we can, we can serve somebody with a little pat on the head, like, oh, here you go, and, and kind of walk away. But do we see them as equals, just as deserving of the riches of God? Do we see them as equals? Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. Believe their pain and mourn with those who are mourning. Listen, if the Raiders make the playoffs, I fully expect you guys to rejoice with me. I expect y'all to be happy for me and if we don't, maybe send a sympathy card. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Who are you looking down on? Or better yet, who are you afraid to invite to the table? Who do you not see as equal? Why is it so important for us to not look down on others? I think it goes beyond just manners. Again, this like this Christian life of just politeness and manners. I think what Paul is talking about is much deeper. I think that the reason we've got to see people as e- equal to ourselves and not look down on anybody is because I think oppression and injustice is birthed from us thinking that we deserve better than another people group, that we deserve what we have. When we see ourselves as better, when we think our lives matter more, when we think our circumstances are the most important, I think that is when we can begin to belittle others and not see them as human. I think another reason that we can lose hope in doing good is just the enormity of really of what's going on in the world. 
There's so much. And so it can just be paralyzing. Like, where do I start? But I think we have such great direction here this morning in these verses. And I want to take human trafficking, for example. I want to take something big and just kind of bring it down. I just want to talk about, um, back in 2012, I started to look into human trafficking. I went to every, it was kind of when I first really heard about it and it first really took root and I started to understand what it was. I started to understand that it was happening locally, that it was happening in our cities and our towns. It wasn't just something that was far off that was happening. I went to every single presentation that was being given on it. I learned, I studied. I ran my first 5K to raise money for human trafficking. <laughs> that was a miracle. Um, and I just, everything I could, every opportunity I could. And I remember telling my husband that I wanted to just rent a big house and I just wanted to fill it with, with victims that have been rescued. I just wanted to go out and I wanted to rescue them. And I just wanted to just like, I don't know, set up sleeping bags all over the house and just bring them in and just love on them. And then I realized that that wouldn't really be truly effective because as I understood more and more about human trafficking, you see, they, they call human trafficking a crime of psychology. Only 2% of victims are taken by force. 98% of victims go willingly. And they go willingly because they've been blackmailed, they've been tricked, they've been lured, they've been promised something, promised money or promised love, promised acceptance. And then once they go in, it is hard to escape. And, and who does all of this manipulation work on? It works on the hopeless. It works on those who have no hope. The average age of a victim in the United States is 12 to 14. Typically from a one-parent home, a, a, a living in a family of poverty, or they themselves have experienced abuse, just basically with no hope, no unconditional love in the home, and, and no, no knowledge of feeling just loved and, and chosen just for who they are. They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This is something that I learned so strongly in this ministry because see, there was a couple families that I walked with that by a miracle of God, they, were, they found their daughters, but their daughters didn't wanna come home. They had been so brainwashed, just teenagers, into thinking and believing the wrong thing, and even though they were being abused violently, they were not excited to be found and to come home. So how do we work on prevention? 60 to 80% of victims of human trafficking come out of the foster care system in the United States because they come from a broken family, they've been ripped from their family, they don't have identity, they don't have that security, that comfort, that unconditional love, and they're looking for anyone to accept them. No matter the risk, they're willing to take it. So after years of praying over what can we do with this problem, 29 million victims, instead of just saying like, oh, that's, I, there's nothing I can do about that, my husband and I decided that we would become foster parents, that we would just take one child and just try to pour out the love and the hope of Jesus and just help them to feel unconditional love and it's not, all, it's not all beautiful. There's very much pain that exists, but that is kind of what we did. And I love that that's just what we're talking about. How can we take 
these huge injustices and just bring it in to us being and doing for those in need. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. She says, if you wanna change the world, go home and love your family. That's kind of what we're talking about today. Let's just kind of be, let's leave the grand gestures for a minute and practice being joyful in hope. We start by receiving the grace and spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And the grace is what results from that. And then we pour out that grace onto others. We think of ways that we can help vulnerable teens. Hello, I'm taking signups for a youth ministry. Youth leaders, if any of y'all wanna sign up. We've got some, woohoo, some uh, situations there that kids who just are dying to be accepted and loved at this vulnerable age with so much that's going on in the world. Share with God's people in need. We support a mom store in Hemet, and a lot of those girls are uh, ages 14 to six, it's, sorry, it's a teen mom store. Uh, teen Mom Ministry. The store is kind of how they, uh, it's kind of their outreach to gaining the trust of these girls. But a lot of them are ages 14 to 16 and their boyfriends are much older and they found themselves pregnant and they've chosen to, to keep the child and sometimes they're kicked out of their homes, they're kicked out of their families and the boyfriend just kind of ditches them. So they're just left here. Who is gonna care for them? Who is going to pour out God's grace on them? How are we going to work on preventing further injustices? The church, full of God's hope, that is our calling. How might love and action change the world? How might living out these steps of prevention prevent so much injustices that are happening? Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. When we pray for those who persecute us, we literally change the atmosphere. Why does Paul continue to do good when he is in chains? Years of being in prison, of being beaten, of being abused, and he doesn't stop sharing the news of God's grace because he has joy and he has patience in affliction and his eyes are constantly towards heaven. Why does Jesus spend his ministry on earth with one-on-one -on -one interactions, leaving the crowds and teaching the 12, healing the one and saying, don't tell anybody about it. Is that because these one-on-ones are what is going to bring the kingdom here? In receiving God's grace and then pouring it out to the world, we can bring heaven to earth through the spirit of the God, through the spirit of God. Doing good is a response of a transformed spirit doing good in the way that Paul describes. It's a response of the transformation in spirit when we truly believe that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to live a life to show us a new way to live, who died on a cross and ascended into heaven so that we can live in eternity and that we could live now following his example of this new way to live that is so opposite from what comes natural to us, that it takes that spirit of God. It takes staying with Jesus. He came not to condemn, but to set us free. 
It's time that we take up the cross and we carry it to the finish line as Paul did. I wanna leave you with this prayer this morning in Paul's words. It's out of 2 Thessalonians. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word.